So maybe you got a text from me this week saying, buy gift cards, but don't call me. I'm in a prayer meeting. Uh, If you got that text, just know that wasn't from me. As a matter of fact, if you ever get a text claiming to be from me, asking you to uh, interact with me only by text, that's a clue. That's not me. (laughs) I am not the primary text guy. Um, But sadly, yeah, for some reason, uh, I'm, uh, again, the target of some sort of scam, which makes people that I care about the target of the said scam as well. So just realize that. I'm not texting you to ask you to do stuff like that. Uh, If we need to deal with something like that, we're talking face-to-face. And um, there's a lot of other clues. Not my phone number. One of the texts that got forwarded me said, hey, I got a new phone number. So that kind of covered that base. Nah, I'm not changing my phone number, okay? Um, And then uh, the other thing is if people respond to the text, that's when they came back with a, well... I need to get some gift cards, so pick those up for me and then call me. And, of course, the scam involves then after you call them back, you get the numbers to them over the you know, text. Uh, and at that point, um, they've got what they've asked for, and they, they run with it. So, uh, But we've been praying for the people who do this. People do this out of desperation sometimes, just out of you know, a desire to take advantage of situations. Um, and it's just sad. But anyway, just be aware of that. It's not me. Uh, ignore those things, whatever form they come in. And, uh, yeah, the Lord's got that. Hey, question for you. Do you enjoy playing practical jokes on people? Is that fun to you? Oh, yeah, I can say. And I know some of you. I'm like, oh, yeah, you do. (laughs) Some of you do too much, actually. Uh, There was uh, a woman who was involved in some gourmet cooking classes, and she kind of wanted to show off her kind of newly acquired skills with some friends. And these are really good friends because a part of what she learned in this class was how to make gourmet dog treats. So these, this dog food kind of thing was cooked up in a certain way and then delicate little crackers and a wedge of imported cheese, some bacon chips, and olive topped with a silver, sliver of pimento. And she put it on these silver trays and put them out for her, let's face it, very good friends, Okay. <laughs> I mean, this was, she put, and so then her friends started eating, and she is just chuckling, like, this is the best. They just, and one particular friend really enjoyed them. I kept going back for more. And eventually she kind of unveiled it to them, hey, guess what? You're eating dog food, you know, gotcha, kind of thing. And uh, they all had a good laugh. That's how you know they were good friends. They all had a good laugh. Everybody enjoyed that moment. But, but that, that really is an illustration of, of what goes on in another realm all the time, only it's not comical, and the outcomes are much, much more dire, and that is the area of religious deception. Uh, there's many, many different types of false teachers, false prophets that will come posing as those who represent Christ, those who preach his word, uh, those who call people to live in, in a way of following him, but really all they're doing is marketing themselves on shiny platters, and they're, they've decorated themselves in such a way so that people don't actually know what they're getting. And, and these dishes are, are often topped with biblical language and, and ways of, of coming across as being genuine, when in fact, um, Sadly, that those who participate and receive that teaching are actually the ones being consumed. And many people will pay for it by the millions. Sadly, uh, some of the most prominent t- 
teachers under the guise of being Christian teachers are in fact false teachers that are uh, laughing all the way to the bank. And so as we go through the Sermon on the Mount, as we continue through this series, we're, we're entering the final section here. And Jesus is giving advice to those who, who don't want to be led astray. He's, he's talked about two roads that are entered by two gates. And, and now we come to verse 15 of Matthew chapter 7. And we can see the Lord actually standing there at the front of those two gates saying, these are the two gates. Now you watch who guides you. You be wise. You be careful. And remember that uh, there's a broad way and a narrow way, but there are also different so-called teachers who will attempt to have you enter a different path than the one I've given you. So in honor of God's word, would you please stand and follow along as I read? And I'm going to actually pick up reading at verse 13 just to sort of set the context a little bit from what we talked about last week. He says this, enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who enter through it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life, and there are few who find it. Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? So every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then, you will know them by their fruits. Lord, we ask that you would help us to understand this passage and... um, that your spirit himself would take these words and impact our hearts. Uh, We pray, Lord, that we would be a discerning uh, family of faith and that together we would walk with you in truth and and in love. And we pray that you'd be glorified as we grow in our ability to discern and that you would be honored as we walk on the narrow way through the little gate because we're following you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. So if there's one thing this morning that you remember from our time together, I'll just let it be this. We must learn to expect, detect, and reject false prophets. So we need to learn to expect, to detect, and to reject false prophets. That's what Jesus is saying to us today. And uh, so as we go through that, we're going to be considering how he unfolds this for us. First, we must learn to expect false prophets. I I think sometimes we get this notion that, oh yeah, there used to be false prophets. That was back then. But now in modern times, it doesn't happen as much. You know, it's not that big of a deal. It was a first century problem, you know, and and we're kind of past it. The church was being established and it was more of an issue. Uh, no. <laughs> no, actually, that's not true. As a matter of fact, as I was preparing this week, I'm going, all right, how many different kinds of false prophets are there today? And the fact is, it's a long list from many different areas. Uh, we've got people from the word faith movement who are 
uh, out there saying, you know, your words, because you're a little God, you can speak and control your reality using words. They'll, they'll use the Bible and they'll try to preach those things. And there are many prominent uh, folks in that, in that arena. And people buy it. They like it, whether it's Kenneth Copeland or Joel Osteen or, or others, you know. And there's different varieties. Some are more subtle than others. Um, and yet, uh, that's what they teach. And we've got to be very, very careful. Um, about that. But there's other types too. There, there are those, uh, the kind of the progressive Christianity is now the new thing, where uh, really there's so many things in the Bible that are kind of primitive, and we need to rescue God from embarrassment and kind of switch things up and change the way we've understood some things. So this idea of substitutionary atonement, of Jesus dying in our place, really, is that necessary? I mean, God's sovereign, right? Can't he just forgive? Why does he need a sacrifice? If anything, if, if God really killed his son Jesus on the cross— we would say he's committing some form of cosmic uh, child abuse at that point. And that's becoming more prevalent all the time. And it's, it's, it's very, very twisted and strange, but, but that's there. Then there's even more subtle versions than that, uh, where you can have uh, people that are espousing various types of, of means of being saved. They're adding to the gospel, much like the Pharisees of old. You know, we, we think of uh, the Judaizers from the first century where it was sort of like, follow the Old Testament law. Yeah, Jesus saves you. That's great. You're saved by faith, but you're kept by works. And so there's plenty of people that fall into that legalistic vein of thinking where in order to be saved, you've got to law keep in this way or this way. Your, your, your salvation rests on uh, your ability to obey. Uh, and then the flip side would be others who would teach, well, no, it's not. You're saved by grace. Therefore, obedience just doesn't matter at all. Who cares? Live however you want. And so we have different levels of false teaching happening all the time. And sometimes they're massive, prominent, megachurch kind of scenarios. Sometimes it's a small, relatively unknown ministry. That's not, that's not the criteria that we would use. It's all over the place. And so here when we find, you know, false prophets... Um, Jesus tells us here, hey, you should expect that. It's normal. Notice what he says. He, he says in verse 15, he says, beware of them. Uh, the idea of, of, of beware is, is, is pay attention. Be on the alert. Be awake. Uh, it also carries the idea of hold your mind from this. So keep your mind away from this. Uh, and it'd be anyone who claims to be a, a false prophet. And, and uh, the Greek term is it's pseudo, is the prefix there, and then prophetes is on the back. So it's a pseudo-prophet, false prophet. And that construction is used all over the place in the New Testament. We see that there are pseudo-Christs in Matthew 24, or pseudo-apostles, 2 Corinthians 11. Pseudo-teachers, Second uh, Peter 2. There's pseudo-brothers, Galatians 2. Pseudo-speakers or, or liars in 1 Timothy 4. There are pseudo-witnesses. Those are the ones that condemn Jesus in, in Matthew 26. False witnesses. He's, we could just put false in front of So there's false Christ, false apostles, false teachers, false brothers, false speakers, false witnesses. And, and in this phrase here, we have false prophets. Now, there might be some who would, who would want to say, well, there's a major distinction between false prophets and false teachers. And, and really, I, I don't think that's the case. There's a lot of overlap there. Um, if anything, the prophet, the main declaration of the prophet is God is revealing something to me. Uh, whereas a, a preacher teacher is taking what God has revealed and bringing that forward. But either way, 
you know, prophets are, are, are saying, this is what God says, you know, he told me so, whereas teachers say, uh, the false teacher is going to say, this is what God says, the scriptures say so. But they're inventing their own message. They're saying what they want to say. Uh, we don't have time this morning, but we could go back to the book of Jeremiah and look at what he went through. Because here he was calling the people of Israel to repentance. And false prophets were saying, it's fine. Why is this Jeremiah guy so worked up? And in essence, they were just giving the people what they wanted to hear. And uh, there's a rebuke given in the, in the book of Ezekiel as well. Uh, listen to what it says in Ezekiel 13. It says, Thus says the Lord God, Woe to the foolish prophets who are following their own spirit and have seen nothing. Isn't that interesting? Ezekiel 13.3. These prophets follow not my spirit, they're following their own spirit, and they see nothing. Well, here's the thing. What's a prophet supposed to do? They're supposed to see. So these are prophets who don't see. They don't see anything. And yet they declare um, these truths in order to get their own way with people. So the reality is, is, is from the Old Testament era through the first century all the way through the church age to today, the people of God have always been dealing with and assaulted by false prophets. They haven't gone anywhere and Jesus is telling us here they're not going anywhere. And notice, beware of false prophets. Look at the next phrase in verse 15. Who come to you? Um, look, these prophets come to you. You don't have to go looking for them. <laughs> they're coming to you. Sometimes we'll have a discussion like this on being discerning or growing, and all of a sudden we launch out on these, like, you can call them a witch hunt, I suppose. Like, let's go get them all. Let's go find them all. We become experts in all these different false teachings. Look, we want to make sure as God's people we know the truth. We know the gospel. We're familiar with the ways of our master. We know the voice of our shepherd, and we follow him so that whenever something false comes along, we're like, hey, that's not what he says. But we don't have to go out of our way looking for them. Trust me, they're coming. They're here. You know them. They're encountering your life. As I look around this room, I, I, I know some of your stories, and the reality is you've had run-ins. You know this isn't theoretical. You've experienced that pain. Um, one writer put it this way, these prophets come to you, make it business to do so, but they only come. They are never sent by God. And it's really important to notice what Jesus says here, that these false prophets, they come to us, notice, in sheep's clothing. Now, that's a powerful image. What that would tell us is that they come and they really do seem like genuine believers. They really seem like genuine Christians or genuine leaders or genuine prophets or teachers. And, um, and we need to understand that. So this isn't the person who comes up and, and right off the bat we see them and go, whoa, false prophet. I mean, that's the other thing. You know, isn't it interesting how different False teachers appeal to different people. Like, to us, some of them, you look at them and you're like, seriously? Come on, like, like Kenneth Copeland. Have you ever seen him on TV? And I thought of having a big picture of his face right now looking at you going, ah, you know, I didn't do that to you. You know, you're welcome. But frankly, when you look at someone like that on TV, I, I, the first thought is like, seriously? Like, who's buying this? Really? Um, 
The guy sounds evil, looks evil, acts evil, smells evil. Like it's just sappy evil. That's, that's pretty much what it is. And yet, you know what? Apparently for a lot of people, they think he's great. But you see, the enemy doesn't care what the false prophet looks like. He's going to fine-tune that false prophet for whatever audience he's after. So be it sort of like the kind of just overtly strange, sappy televangelist, or maybe it's the more subtle, young, hip, cool uh, pastor who makes a big deal out of doctrine and who's really trying to be solid in a lot of those things, and yet there's something else going on. And again, mega ministry, tiny ministry, different fields, different places. Uh, the enemy doesn't care what the false prophet looks like. The main thing is that people think they're a sheep, when in fact, underneath, they're a wolf. And so this person's going to be someone who's, who says the right things. They're going to, in general, teach a lot of right things. There's going to be the right use of terminology. There's uh, going to be ways in which it seems like even their walk is corresponding with what they're saying. Um, nothing's going to attract attention. Nothing is going to arouse suspicion at first for those who are under that sort of leadership and teaching. That says nothing until eventually something goes glaringly wrong. Yet under the surface, notice Jesus says, inwardly, look at the end of verse 15, they are ravenous wolves. Not just wolves, ravenous wolves. That, that, that term is very descriptive. It, it actually means to be vicious it means to want to rip to shreds their victim. Um, so this, this one might appear to be a sheep, but in, their inward character indicates that these prophets have an inner disposition toward ripping, tearing, and killing. It's the idea of seizing and snatching their prey with cruel fangs. That's what's really going on. One writer put it this way, these people love to rend and tear spiritual life like the fangs of a wolf. So we find this picture, and we're like, wow, what's going on? Well, the main thing would be this. There's an outer thing that people see, and there's an inner thing that's really happening. And they're not the same thing. It's a similar picture uh, given in the book of Revelation. It's very interesting. Uh, in Revelation 13, it says, I saw another beast coming out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and he spoke as a dragon. Now, this is talking about the false prophet that's going to come in, uh, in the tribulation era, and, and this final false prophet is going to promote Antichrist's power and convince the world to worship him as God. And uh, it's going to be very, very, a very persuasive false teacher. But you'll notice this idea of uh, horns like a lamb spoke like a dragon, right? You've got that same duplicity going on. Both descriptions of what Jesus gives here and what Revelation gives later is there's an inner reality that craves to devour with an outward appearance of peaceful innocence. It's treacherous. Another commentator just said this, false prophets are representatives of the power of darkness masquerading as angels of light. 
And that's why Paul would conclude in 2 Corinthians 11, no wonder even Satan disguises himself as angels of light. So of course his followers are going to do the same. So this false prophet is someone who lacks authorization from God. They bring their own message and their message is generally very close to God's message. I mean, again, the best lies are part truths, right? So the false prophet who's skilled is going to bring the message. Here's God's message. And they're just going to go, eh, it's a little, not much, just a tad in order to capture the people. So we need to expect this. We need to expect this. We need to be on guard. Let's not be naive, brothers and sisters. Let's be ready. And, and know this, they're coming. They've already come and they're going to continue to do so until Jesus returns. And he's telling us to be aware of it. Um, and I think being aware of it is so critical because when people just assume there's nothing to be aware of, that's when we get into trouble. Um, so he calls us to be aware of it. But not only that, he also, not only we're called to, to expect false prophets, but we're also uh, called to learn to detect false prophets. And that's what Jesus describes next in verses 16 through 20. Uh, he gives us a very descriptive way to understand. He says this, verse 16, you will know them by their fruits. And now he's going, okay, this is an agrarian culture, right? They've got groves of, of fruit trees all over the place and they probably have them at home. They probably are farmers and they're going, oh yeah, that's right, that's true. Yeah, the tree says what it is by the fruit it bears. And so he goes on to say, Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? And, and you got to realize there's a, a little bit of humor there, because all those people who know farming, they're going, yeah, right. Could you imagine, you know, running into a, a, a patch of thorns in order to get grapes? <laughs> That'd be dumb. Who would do that? It's absurd. Or, or, or you could, could you imagine, going, hey, I need, I need some, some figs. Oh, there's a thistle patch over there. Let me go there and I'll get the figs. No one would do that. So Jesus is using a, a kind of a humorous picture for people to go, of course not. And then he goes on to say in verse 17, so every good tree bears good fruit and, and the bad tree brings bad fruit. Um, this idea of, of a good tree has the idea of being generous. That's the kind of tree it is. And it's the implication of, of relating to goodness. And the fruit that comes from it is using a word that's talking about how it's an agreeable fruit. It's a good thing. And of course, a bad tree uh, is something that is actually harmful. That's the word that's used for bad there. And, and then the fruit, uh, the word used there is an idea of a sickly or diseased fruit. And, and so that's that, uh, again, description that Jesus gives. And of course, when we look at that, we're thinking to ourselves, okay, well, what's he talking about? What is exactly the bad fruit of a false teacher? And that's a big question. What does he mean by that? What's the bad fruit? Is, is it the teaching of the false teacher or is it the way the false teacher lives? And, uh, and the answer to that question is yes. <laughs> yeah, it's both. It's bo it has to be the teaching because what are they? They're false prophets. That's what he describes them as. And of course, that term refers to the ministry of someone called by God to declare God's word. And, and there were times that it referred to foretelling future events, but really that was only a part of the prophet's ministry. 
The prophet's ministry was more frequently to not just foretell, but also to foretell God's word. And so the prophet would declare and explain God's truth to the people of their time and help them how to, to understand how to apply it to their daily lives. And when they did speak about the future, there was always a point. It wasn't just to wow them. You know, sadly, you, you look at some of the you know, so-called prophets on today's kind of various multimedia platforms. I mean, we've talked about this in the past. Look, the gift of prophecy in the Bible, a prophet of God is always 100% accurate. You realize that there's a whole movement trying to legitimize prophets that aren't 100% accurate. Uh, I had a, a screenshot from, from before, earlier, there was a, just a bunch of prophets that had prophesied at the end of 2019 to talk about 2020. And it was you know, some of the most prominent quote-unquote prophets on, online in, in, in TV and other places. How many of them predicted the COVID-19 epidemic? pandemic. Zero. Now, there was one that claimed to, but then when you chase down the claims, you can't find where he said it. So he says he said it, but no one can find where he said it. You realize all these people are on TV all the time. That's their job. Can't find the clip. That's strange, isn't it? Yeah. You know what their prophecies were for 2020? It's going to be a breakout year for everybody. Break out? Hello, it's going to be a confined in year for everybody. Not even close. Anyway, when a prophet did declare, it was 100% correct all the time, every time. And when they did speak about the future, it was also to verify the divine source of their message. That was a part of what they were doing. And it was also to have a practical, godly influence in the present life of their hearers. And so God's messenger declares God's message to God's people for God's glory, whereas a false prophet speaks their own message for their own gain and gratification to the destruction of people. And so, yes, it involves their teaching. Think of what the scriptures teach us. 1 John 4, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone into the world. Hebrews 13 Verse 9, do not be carried away by varied and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace. Huh. Not by foods, through which those who were so occupied were not benefited. Uh, Titus 1, verses 10 and 11, for there are many rebellious men, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision, who must be silenced because they are upsetting whole families, teaching things they should not teach for the sake of sordid gain. And there's other places in which the Bible describes this. Jesus describes it in Matthew 15 when he says, in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. And of course, those were the Pharisees. Uh, they, they took religious approaches to God rather than approaching God on his own terms. They thought that by raising the bar above the law, they could earn God's favor. And so it's a, it's, it's a, it's a tragic thing to see that. But, but it also, the bad fruit also refers uh, to the false teachers' lives as well. And we see that because the term fruit used in the New Testament often refers to how we are called to live. 
Galatians, of course, right? The fruit of the Spirit. There it is. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, right? That, that's one fruit that's to be shown with all those different facets and dimensions. Uh, Jesus describes it elsewhere, too, in John 15. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide or remain in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Ephesians 5, verses 9 and following says, The fruit of the light, there it is, fruit, consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Do not participate in unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them, for it is disgraceful to even speak of the things which are done by them in secret. Uh, Philippians 1, verse 11 having been filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Uh, And James chapter 3 also refers to this idea of fruit being how we live. When he says, but the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy. And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So we find here that this fruit, it's important to see. It has to do with the teaching that we're examining and the life. Both of those things are important. And, and I think at our day and age, we confuse that term for fruit there in this setting and in this instance. Um, we kind of take where fruit is used in other passages to describe the outcome of ministry, and we'll use that as the criteria to judge a false teacher, false prophet, false preacher. And that's, that's not a great thing. Um, you know, one example of that would be, uh, you know, with a lot of the mega churches that have recently kind of just blown up. We can think of Mars Hill um, with Mark Driscoll there, um, James McDonald, some other, some other places where just the, the massive ministries, and yet, Staff members now are telling people things like, yes, I was cussed out in a church staff meeting. There's a massive explosion of anger. Um, repeatedly, I'm constantly verbally abused. But we baptized 50 people on Sunday. Look at the fruit. Okay. Must be of God. Has to be of God. Right? That's not what Jesus is talking about here. So again, context determines meaning. Fruit does mean that sometimes, different places in the Bible. But here, the fruit you're to examine is not simply the outcome. No. You're looking at the teaching. Does it correspond with what he has told us? And then you're looking at the person's life. And we're not saying the person's life is perfect. Uh, believe me, folks, if that was the case, there wouldn't be anyone standing in spiritual leadership in any way. There would be no pastors or teachers. Uh, I was telling the newcomers class this morning, and I've said it to you before, uh, look, if I could lose my salvation, I'd lose it every day. I mean, this thing is a bag of cats in here. It's going all over the place. I don't know. I need grace. I need forgiveness. We're not talking about a sinless life. What we're saying is when someone's transformed by God, when they're brought to a saving faith, when they're united with Christ, when they're brought into communion with Christ, that leads to 
ongoing walking with Jesus. So union with Christ leads to communion with Christ, meaning there's a, a desire for growth. There's a, a, a way of, of um, progressive sanctification, gradually growing more and more uh, into what God's called us to be. We wrestle with sin, we fail, we confess, we repent, and we trust. We live lives of repentance before God. That's, that's all of us. And uh, it just seems like some people will say, well, once you're a Christian, you don't sin anymore. Again, that's not what this Bible tells us, not to mention. The person that teaches that, by the way, like you really do have to go home and just look at yourself in the mirror at least once a day, right? Like, isn't it kind of clear at that point? Like, yeah, right, come on. No. No, there is a way in which, you know, we're told, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. First John chapter 1, verse 9. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from how much of our unrighteousness? All, yeah, all of it. That's our hope. So when we're looking at fruit, we've got to be careful what we're talking about here. We're talking about the teaching of, 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 of this teacher. We're also talking about the life. And yes, though there are times in which though believers have been radically altered, they are far from, from perfection, they often stumble, and yet there is a manifestation of, of God's kingdom in them. Well, how did Jesus begin this whole thing? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Why do you hunger and thirst for it? Because you're not there yet. But you want it. You long for it. This is a different kind of longing. The ravenous wolf is someone who desires to place themselves above others for the purpose of fleecing them, benefiting from them, taking advantage of them, ripping, shredding with fangs hurting them. And, uh, and those are the things that we need to be aware of. But here's the thing. The sheep costume, though the wolf's wearing the sheep costume, it never quite fits right. You know, it's a little too tight here, kind of chafes here, can't quite pull the mask over the snout of the uh, wolf. And so over time, it's revealed. Not always even in this life. Um, I think one of the most painful examples that we've had recently would be that of Ravi Zacharias. Heartbreaking. If you're not familiar with his ministry, he, he was a wonderful apologist. Uh, had a vast impact on many people. Uh, he helped me out. I would read his stuff and go, man, that was really helpful. I mean, he just had a, a gift for explaining things and a sincere way of communicating Sadly, from what evidence that we know of, and it's evidence at this point, it's been investigated, this isn't just conjecture, he was leading a complete double life. Um, Repeated uh, sexual indiscretion, even possibly abuse, potentially, using his position of power over others. Uh, Certainly harassment, um, to the point where there were just all kinds of different ways in which he managed to do this secretly over years and years and years. It's devastating. See, now that is an example of someone who 
that appeals to our part of the vineyard, doesn't it? Uh, that's not going to be, that's not some, you know, kind of off-kilter televangelist. It's sobering. And so Jesus here is giving us this thing of, you know, you, you can see it from the fruit, the fruit of the teaching and the fruit of the life. And he goes on in verse 18 to talk about how it's a foolproof test. Look what he says. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. That's just a fact. I've told you a little bit about our peach tree in the backyard. We love this thing. Can't believe it. You know, as our neighbor Carlos over here had it on the front of the curb. Janet spotted it. I ran out there and grabbed it. We adopted it, stuck it in the ground. Had no idea what would happen. So this, this tree is probably, you know, about like this. You know, comes about that to here. It's not, it's not huge. The amount of peaches, we had to like de-peach the thing before it fell down. It's just like, I'm so happy to be here. Watch this. You know? Like, what is going on? You know? And, uh, and, and they're amazing. It's a good tree. Uh, I've talked to other people who've had trees in their backyard, and they're like, why is this thing here? Why do I water you? You know, there's no point. It just sort of sits there, drinks my water, and doesn't produce. And, and that's, that's the, what Jesus is bringing out. Again, everybody in the first century knew this. Good trees, they produce good fruit. Um, there's going to be solid biblical teaching. I've, I've said this many times before. You realize um, the Bible protects all of you from me. Isn't that good? I'm glad about that. <laughs> you ought to be glad about that if you only knew. No, it's true. Uh, we want to bring out what the text says. You know, we're committed to, to doing that week by week. So I don't even determine that we were going to talk about false teachers. I, you know, that, when we decided on this series months ago, that's how we knew this was happening today. But more than that, we want to bring out what the passage says, whether I'm preaching or whoever is preaching. We want to bring out what the passage says. Why? Because the Holy Spirit wrote this to bring all of us to a deeper knowledge of who he is, who God is, who, what Christ has done. And so if we are unleashing this, we know that the Holy Spirit is at work. I start bringing my own stuff. There was a, years ago, I may have mentioned this before, but there was a pastor who was like, going, hey, you know what I do? I get our church to get moving on things. I just preach the announcements. I'm like, what? You do what? You know, the Bible is way more powerful than your announcements, and the Holy Spirit didn't write your announcements, so he's under no obligation to take those and illuminate them to people. But here, we're saying, no, we want the scriptures to be the focal point because we want the Spirit of God to change us and to draw us into a clearer, deeper, fuller understanding of and walk with Jesus. Uh, so the Word of God, yeah, protects, protects everybody. <laughs> That's a good thing. Uh, so Jesus goes on then and talks about, in verse 19 about the consequence for someone who is walking this life of, of, of dis disguising themselves, though they are ready to devour, acting like sheep and, and leading others astray, off of the narrow path to the broad path. Every tree that does not bear fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So Jesus is talking about hell. 
Yet again, Jesus talked about hell a lot. And he's saying for, for those who reject grace and who walk on this uh, eager kind of hunting spree after God's sheep, they will not go unpunished. Um, and that's, that's described other places too. Uh, there's a, a portion of uh, 1 Corinthians where Paul is describing how there are some who are out to try to destroy the church, false teachers. And he says, if anyone tries to destroy the church, God will destroy that man. And the, the, the syntax there is very powerful because destroy happens twice in the middle of the verse. So it's really, if anyone the church tries to destroy, destroy that man God will. Destroy, destroy. It's, it's very, I mean, it's sort of like if, if you are deliberately setting out to try to harm a local church, I don't want you to stand in the same room with you. Yikes, you really want to enter that arena with God? You want to harm a local church? And this, this happens frequently. I was talking with a, with a friend recently. He lives on the other side of the, of the country, but um, he's involved in a church there. And there was a semi-prominent um, professor from a local Christian college who came in. And he told the pastor, he said, do not give this guy a teaching position. Don't do it. But the guy's a really good teacher. And he didn't listen. And sure enough, a year and a half later, that entire group is now off planting another church down the street. And, uh, and my friend went, you know, went to the pastor to talk, and the pastor's like, look, I know you told me. And he goes, I'm not here to say that to you. I'm here to say I'm really sorry that happened, and what can I do to help? You know, that's the kind of guy he is. But it happens a lot. Um, so Jesus here um, is very descriptive about the outcome. And then he concludes with the kind of summary statement, so then, you will know them by their fruits. And I think, I think we find our third reality that we need to learn not only to expect false prophets and to detect false prophets, but lastly, we need to reject them. And when Jesus kind of gives that summary phrase, so then, this is the result of all that, so then, because of that, you're going to know them. And in light of that, please reject them. Have nothing to do with them. Warn others from them. Because they're trying to mislead you off of the way of life that I've just described, that narrow way. They're trying to take you off of that. It's very interesting, the way of truth um, that, that we're called to. Second um, Peter uses that phrase to describe the work of the false teacher. Uh, Many will fall after their sensuality, he writes, and because of them, the way of truth will be maligned. Uh, Jesus, just in the previous section, you'll notice, talks about the, the narrow way. Uh, early Christians were known as people of the way. Notice it's not of a way, it was of the way. And so when Jesus brings this forward, he's saying, don't let them pull you off of the way. Recognize them, reject that, and trust me. Um, Some traits that we would find from this section, just some things to notice, because there are so many varieties of false teachers. Again, we've talked about some are shallow, some seemingly deep, some are massively prominent, others are not. If we just look at this section of Scripture and what Jesus has just said, we see a few 
characteristics of false teachers. First, they appear as one of the sheep. Second, they crave vicious, harmful devouring of sheep. Also, they proclaim what people want to hear. And and this is an important one. What does that mean? Well, it means they're going to neglect certain things. They're going to neglect talking about the narrow way of life that is to follow Christ. They're going to not talk about the narrow gate. It doesn't appeal to people. They're not going to talk about how part of the reason that word is narrow there is it implies and, and brings forward this notion of persecution is going to be a part of it. So you're not going to hear them talk about that. They're going to talk about prosperity, not persecution. Uh, it means they're going to celebrate different things. They don't celebrate God's sovereign grace. They're never astonished by the massive gift of justification that comes from, from Jesus because of his righteousness, not ours. They're not going to talk about God's holiness or his just wrath against rebellious sinners. They're not going to talk about hell, probably. They're not going to celebrate the new life that we have in Christ because they've never grappled with how dead we were before Jesus invaded our life. So a lot of it's what they're not going to talk about, right? It's sort of this, okay, not hearing much of that. Of course, they will celebrate other things. Uh, Maybe they'll celebrate how you can control the world around you with your words. Your words become your reality. Or maybe they'll celebrate how you can declare favor on yourself. Or they celebrate getting in position for increase or getting in position for your breakthrough. They celebrate a lot of things, but not the gospel. So we need to learn to reject them and to warn others. There was a, on the peninsula of the Tasman Sea, South Australia, there's a very treacherous place for ships, the cliffs around Cape St. George, just south of Jervis Bay. And so this was notorious for shipwrecks, and and it was decided there needed to be a lighthouse. So in 1857, um, a colonial architect named Alexander Dawson began looking for a site suitable for a lighthouse. And so on Cape St. George, he was looking around, he found a spot, but, but he looked for a place that would be super convenient for him, for building. And so uh, when the pilot's board went to verify the location, they were kind of like, eh, I don't know about this one. This probably won't help as much. But um, they decided, ah, we'll we'll go with it. And so though there were deficiencies and kind of disagreement on that board, eventually um, this thing was built. And sadly, because of where it's located, it stood in a place it shouldn't have, it actually ended up luring unsuspecting ships onto the rocks. It did the opposite of what a lighthouse is supposed to do. And uh, we find out later that Dawson, this guy, chose the site really because it was so close to the quarry. He'd get the stones from there. And he compromised on the location. He compromised even on the way he built this thing. And so there were about two dozen shipwrecks on that place simply because of the lighthouse itself. So after they decommissioned the lighthouse, eventually because of all the navigational problems it was causing, they built another one. Um, but sadly, there was a sandstone tower on the top of the thing that glowed in the dark, so ships were still crashing on this thing until eventually they, they completely decommissioned it and tore it down. Um, but what happened there is very much like what happens 
with a false prophet, false teacher. They look like a lighthouse, and you think, whoa, great, there's a lighthouse, we're okay. But you don't know, that thing has been built out of convenience for the builder, not for the good of those around them. And sadly, many shipwrecks have happened because of that. Brothers and sisters, let's be aware. Let's grow in discernment. Let's look at fruit. Fruit of teaching, fruit of life. And by the grace of God, may we help others who have been deceived. That the gospel would be known and that we would be those that not only walk on the narrow way, but help others to find the small gate because of Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that you would help us to discern and to see and to grow. We're frail and weak. Lord, we need you. We need your word. We pray, Lord, that because it is the only true lamp and true light to our feet, that we would be diligent to enjoy you, that we'd be diligent to heed its warnings, that we'd be diligent to receive the wondrous truths about what you've done to rescue us. And we thank you, Lord, for the way in which you instruct us to not only expect these false prophets from being there, but also to detect them and ultimately to reject them. That we'd follow you, the way, the truth, and the light. Amen.